Welcome to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. At its heart, it's a battle for homeland and sovereignty. Bears Ears, a remote section of land characterized by its distinctive red cliffs and abundance of juniper and sage, is at the center of a fight over who has a say in how western landscapes are protected and managed. Battle over Bears Ears, a new documentary film, explores the deep connections to place and the vast cultural divides that are fueling the fight over how the Bears Ears monument is protected and managed, whose voices are heard, whose are lost, and how do all sides find common ground in this uncommon place. A uh, film, The Battle Over Bears Ears, premiered last night on KUED television and has several other airings. Um, there is an airing uh, tonight, 10 p.m. on KUED, Friday, 8 p.m., and Sunday at 3 p.m. And uh, we are uh, bringing in now for the hour uh, producer Nancy Green. Welcome back to the program. Hey, thanks, Tom. Uh, great film. I really enjoyed it. I think you got uh, you know, the, the major voices in there. Uh, and I'll ask you about that. Kind of a difficult undertaking with this. It's a very, very loaded uh, topic. Uh, we also uh, bring in here, we'll go to them periodically throughout uh, the hour, um, USU professors uh, Kerry Holt from uh, Associate Professor of English. Thanks for joining us. Great to be here. And uh, Judson Finley, Associate Professor of Anthropology. Thank Thanks. you. Later on, we'll be talking with Riley Jensen. She'll join us by telephone, a student in the USU Quinney College of Natural Resources. Uh, so before we jump into the film, uh, Carrie Holt, briefly, um, you and Judson are teaching a class. Yes, the honors program has uh, started to run these think tank courses, which are supposed to be interdisciplinary team talk courses that are about issues that help students to be sort of citizen scholars, to engage with the community. So Judson and I decided to teach a class that would be about public lands issues and with the goal of helping students find ways to engage with these debates. So we've been using Dinosaur National Monument as a case study to sort of talk about the issues and, and frameworks. And luckily, we're here at a moment where students are actively able to take part in this public comment session. All right. And uh, uh, Judson, the comment period for Bears Ears closes pretty quickly here. Yeah, so that is ending on November 15th. Yeah. And uh, so I guess that's get that information out to our listening audience uh, and, and the students as well. Uh, and, uh, Carrie, there's an event coming up. Yes, one of our students took the lead in planning an event to sort of give students and, and the public an opportunity to participate in this public comment process. So we're going to have a screening of the um, Battle Over Bears Ears documentary on Wednesday. And after that, we'll have some computer set up and some guidelines and frameworks for how to participate in the public comment process, which will be open to university students and anyone in Cache Valley. Yeah. Uh, so, Nancy Green, I'm assuming that uh, you, uh, I guess it's probably pleasing your film's being used in this way. Oh, I'm really excited. It's always great when uh, when any of our films are used in, in any way in terms of educational use or, you know, prompting discussion. That's really what we're all about. So I want to uh, jump in and talk about uh, Bears Ears and the whole process of the film. Uh, let's hear... Uh, let's hear a, a clip. This is the open of filmed opening a couple of minutes kind of sets uh, the stage. We'll hear some of the voices to be featured in the film. This is the bear's ears and it's alive and it has its own spirit. It has its own agency, its own power and its own gift. This is more than recreation to me. This is my home for the government to come in and make this monument and take away the freedoms that we enjoy here. It's like taking America away from me. There is a battle playing out in the southeastern corner of Utah to fight over whose voice gets heard, who decides how this region, now known as Bears Ears, is managed, protected, and preserved. 
What's happening today has been written in history already. And it's written on the rocks out there as we travel. I've seen it, I've heard it. The very tool that you want to use to protect something is the very thing that will bring people in to destroy it. Can you please answer to us, what gives you the constitutional right to come in here and dictate land in the state of Utah? This is an example of public lands. It belongs to the people that live on the East Coast to the West Coast. It belongs to all of us. This is gonna set the tone for other public lands conversations throughout the nation. These resources are too valuable. They're irreplaceable. It's like tearing pages out of a history book. And once they're gone, they're gone. This is part of a movement that's gonna make history. Protect, preserve. What are we doing? Nobody wants to listen. So Nancy Green, a, a nice sampling of voices there. Words like irreplaceable. And another uh, woman says, this is my home. This is, I'm losing my freedoms. Losing America, essentially. Um, and then an important question. We come to, you come to uh, again and again in this film, whose voice gets heard? That's a mm -hmm. cru crucial issue in in, uh, in not only this, but uh, many public lands debates. Uh, it really is. And what's interesting is at one point or another, virtually everyone in the debate felt marginalized or that they weren't being heard. And, um, you know, there, there are voices that traditionally haven't been heard, Native American voices, um, for example. And But, but you, you you know, you heard it that 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 cry a lot um, from all different people in all different walks of life and on all different sides. And so, um, you know, this marginalization um, seemed to be a, a theme running throughout. Uh, so uh, as you go about choosing voices, uh, you know, many more than you can fit in the film, um, you know, some, some very personal stories uh, here. Uh, I guess that was your concern. It would be concern of a filmmaker in, the, in this uh, kind of a loaded uh, topic to get the right voices. Yeah, I mean, it was really, you know, a difficult line to, <laughs> to walk because we didn't want to um, editorialize. We wanted to represent different voices. And there's so many um, different views. And you can't just say, oh, well, you know, all the locals, you know, in San Juan County are against the monument or they're all for it. And you can't say, you know, um, you know, Native Americans, you know, different tribes, that they're speaking all with one cohesive voice, although, you know, there was a lot of agreement. But there were dissenting voices, too. Um, you know, so we have Native Americans who are against the monument, um, as well as a lot who are for. So, so it goes back and forth. You couldn't break down the story into a typical you know, like a stereotypical, you know, and I hate to use the term, but almost like cowboys versus Indians, you know, ranchers, you know, versus Native Americans. It, it didn't break down along those lines so neatly. Uh, in fact, uh, Bill Boyle, the newspaper editor down there, says something similar. He says, you know, it's split 50-50 Native Americans and uh, Anglos. I'm not sure what they call themselves, San Juan County. Um, uh -huh. But, but it, he says you, you never know. You can't tell by looking at somebody whether the big four or against the monument. Yeah, and and it was it was one of those um, you know pieces where you just had to talk to a lot of diverse voices and then you know try and represent them as best you can. Um, I want to um, maybe we could play. Uh, let's play another clip here. 
um, gets into how people feel about the land and why this is such a, a, a polarized topic. People feel so deeply about it. So this is about, this is over three minutes. I thought this was a very important uh, section in the film. Uh, so we'll start out uh, listening to uh, Angelo Baca, who is a Native American. Then we segue into listening to Jamie Bayless, stewards of San Juan. So Angela Baca is a proponent of the original monument and Jamie Bayless a p- opponent of the original monument. They both are articulating why they find the land so special. Uh, so this is, uh, I've labeled this sacred land. The blood of your ancestors is the blood that you have and you're carrying that through. My name is Angelo Baca, and in the traditional way I would introduce myself in Navajo, I would say, Angelo Baca Yenishe, Plaschit Nishle, Kisani Bashishchin, Todichitni Dashiche, Nakaidene Dashinella. I have all sides of my family in that introduction. I've lived here in San Juan County on and off my whole life. My grandmother has a lineage that goes back to Bears Ears as well. It's very traditional. She didn't speak any English. She was here when some of the first roads were built, when some of the first white people came in, you know, when the first automobiles would break down and get stuck out in the middle of nowhere. So she had seen a lot of changes. She was very supportive of the work of protecting and conserving and preserving Bears Ears. Um, In particular, she thought that it would be significant for Navajo people to have as a ceremonial place and of healing and prayer. Up to the very last year, my grandmother was picking the medicines, you know, up to the very last. We were going up there and she was telling me the history, she was telling me the place. That place is a sacred place for lots of reasons. It's a place of civility, of discourse, of peacemaking, of harmony. It actually is the spirit of the bear, and that's respected in all the cultures. I just always thought this is our backyard. We'd come up here and have family reunions, just go fishing or hiking, camping. Um, basically learned how to drive a truck up on this mountain. <laughs> learned how to you know, shoot a gun. I fell off a horse, my first horse on that mountain. Um, you know, I, I killed my first deer on that mountain. So there's all of these, these memories, these things that mean so much to us and make us who we are and they're tied to this land. And so it becomes a part of you. This spot here is is really, really special to me and it's because my boyfriend um, took his last breath right here. And so this, you know, I come out here to, to visit instead of the cemetery. We talk about sacred places. This is incredibly sacred to me. There's a ton of sacred spots. It's not just me. It's not just this spot right here. It's this entire area. When you have a place like this that's so special to you and you have this vision of people putting signs up by it or people coming and going and not realizing just what it means to somebody, it 
it's like a gut punch. So that's a sound clip from a new documentary film, uh, which uh, is airing on KUED television. We're talking about this on the program, but today you're listening to Access Utah. And uh, the upcoming uh, airings of the program will be uh, tonight, 10 p.m., Friday, 8 p.m., and Sunday, 3 p.m., all on KUD television. We have producer Nancy Green with us. We also have Kerry Holt, associate professor of English, and Judson Finley, associate professor of anthropology. So Nancy Green, um, you know, two people who feel passionately about the land. They're using, both both, both of them are using the word sacred, and they have mm-hmm. opposing viewpoints on, on how the land should be managed. Yeah, I mean, I think that was something that was prevalent. I went, I went down to... Um, to hear Sally Jewell, um, she came, the, the former Secretary of the Interior, and she did a, a listening tour in Utah before the monument was declared. And uh, what really struck me, because hundreds of people just, you know, she listened to a lot of different comments. And um, and what struck me was on either side, people used the term, either they were pro-monument or anti-monument, it didn't matter. They talked about uh, the land being sacred to them um, in some way, and they also talked about needing to preserve and protect it. You know, it was interesting. I think I think maybe defining sacred and defining protection, right? Maybe people have different meanings for those words, but um, but you could hear it with Angelo and with Jamie that they both had a really deep connection to place, and um, you know, Angelo's goes back for generations and generations, and it's it's. Um, you know, something his grandmother really taught him. Um, whereas Jamie, it, it, you know, it was definitely this lived experience of having all of these memories tied to to the place. And, and it was fascinating to me because I'm, I'm an urban dweller and, you know, I, I haven't necessarily lived in one place like that, you know, where I've generations go back. And so for me, I don't have those really deep connections to the land the way they do. They're, they're these lived, spiritual um, and and just they are really they're these sacred connections. Um, so just kind of jumping forward, we'll loop back. I think it's Angela Baca near the end of the film. He says, uh, "This isn't over. <laughs> it's gone. Yeah. You know, it's gone one way. It's gone the other." Uh, he says, "This this isn't over. Uh, both sides." So, uh, do you come away? Um, with a sense that this is hopeful, that this is able to get resolved, or is this just going to lurch back and forth, president to president? <laughs> you know, it, it's funny because as I was doing the film, it was it was like, wow, what you know, it, it, my sense of hope kept dwindling. You know, that there could be any kind of compromise, or we could come to any resolution. But Angelo, you know, kept reminding me that this is a process, and that it's more than it, it's about more than land. I mean, it's you know, it's a very complex. Uh, issue. It's it's about cultural views. It, racism even plays into it. Um, you know, it's it's more than just uh, as deep as it is. It's more than just land, and and so. But he gave me this hope that that yeah, these discussions about land use could bring out those deeper issues that we as a society need to deal with. And so, um, so yeah, I mean, I think, <laughs> I think it's going to be interesting to see. I think right now it's tied up in the courts, um, and I think the resolution is going to be quite a ways off. But hopefully we can, you know, keep having these discussions where we can maybe get to something deeper than just yelling at each other. Is, is, uh, is that the key? Is it <laughs> as simple and as complex as that? We just have to keep talking? 
I, you know, I don't know what else to do at this point. I don't know what else we can do. Um, you know, and it's not that simple, right? I mean, obviously, if we're that simple, we would have found solutions already. But there was an interesting process that happened in San Juan County early on. And they brought um, a lot of different stakeholders to the table. And they started having conversations about how to best protect and manage that land. And there was, they did find some consensus. Um, you know, it was just this nascent, this beginning, you know, of a conversation. Um, but there was hope. And so, I don't know, in today's current climate, I don't know if we even are sitting down and, and talking to each other. I don't even know if we're taking that that first step in today's political climate. By the way, um, Phil Lyman, uh, county commissioner down there, uh, near the end of the film, uh, he, I don't know, it sounded like he wanted to be hopeful. I don't know if he was hopeful. He said, you know, if you could build a fence around San Juan County, keep the outsiders out, and just have locals, we could solve this thing, he said. Yeah, and that goes back to, I think, that process that, that Phil Lyman was part of early on, where he, you know, they felt like, okay, we can make something happen. But, um, you know, it became such a politicized, um, you know, movement that um, I think, you know, in his mind, it, he felt like, you know, other outside forces took it over, um, whether that's true or not is, you know, up to debate. Certainly it depends on your point of view and your opinion. But, you know, in Phil's mind, he felt like if we, they just came together, they could find some common ground. But honestly, you know, with, with everything that's happened, um, I don't know. I mean, I think that's a tall order, but hopefully that could happen. By the way, I, I don't know if you've, uh, you probably haven't been uh, back since the recent change, the, the recent elections in San Juan County under the new... Um, you know the new districts that have been redrawn, mm -hmm. which looks like it's going to um, produce uh, a majority Navajo uh, county commission. Yeah, and, and also they're um, the, um, they're both pro monument, so um, it's going to be an interesting um, change down there. And I was down there actually recently and screened the film, and uh, and people were. People didn't know what to make of it. The people I spoke with, they were, uh, um, you know, they were not sure what their future held. And uh, the, the anti-monument people I spoke with, they weren't really sure what the future held for them. And um, it, was, it was a bit of a tense time. So change is definitely afoot, though, in San Juan County. And uh, another interesting thing is they've, they've um, changed their slogan, um, it sounds like to more embrace the monuments that are already there now. And uh, I think their new slogan is something like, make it monumental. So um, mm. some of the anti-monument people were a little up in arms about that. So I don't, it's interesting. Uh, you know, it's very much changing times in San Juan County. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens over the next, um, you know, few months and year. So it gets back to that theme, whose voice gets heard, right? And, and it's... Musical, yeah. musical chairs yeah. again. Yeah, and so much, it's really fascinating because so much of it seems to, you know, be in who's in political power, um, you know, in terms of whose voice actually gets gets listened to. So, I mean, certainly all sides are shouting, but, you know, who are the ones who get to, um, you know, help, uh, help steer the discussion in terms of, you know, actual action. And I think, you know, the, the discussion really shifted when um, President Trump was elected, came into office, and then all of a sudden you have, you know, the, the pro-monument people were the ones who were getting, you know, 
their voice was heard in the sense that they were the ones who were getting a monument, you know, land was, you know, going to be set aside, and then all of a sudden you have this tremendous shift in political power, and then suddenly, you know, the people who are pro-monument now suddenly feel marginalized that their voices are being heard, and the anti-monument people come in, and they feel like they're finally getting, you know, a say. So, um, you know, political wins definitely determine whose voices are listened to. I want to, uh, before we go to break, I want to bring in uh, Judson Finley and uh, Carrie Holt. Uh, so as you've been uh, listening, so first of all, Judson Finley, remind me what the what the class is and, and what you're trying to do with the students here. So the class is um, looking at Dinosaur National Monument and the debate um, in the 1950s about damming the Green and Yampa Rivers and really um, how at that moment in time there was no process for um, public participation and kind of what the pros and cons and what the opinions were in that and using that as a as a way for us to reflect back on what's going on now Mm -hmm. and so what that's evolved into for us is um, essentially an exercise in how we how we participate in the process so you know following on the theme of of who has the voice how do you how do you participate how do you talk in this process mm-hmm. so this uh, i'm i'm sure you know real world high stakes case study <laughs> if we can put it academically here mm-hmm. uh, so you're comparing and contrasting uh, dinosaur national monument with uh, the ongoing bears ears debate uh, what are your thoughts then in, in terms of whose voice gets heard and and uh, <laughs> and you know uh, I, I think I, if I were to comment, uh, participate in the process, the comment process, one question I would have is, depends on which side I'm on right now and which president is, is in power as to whether my comment even matters at this point. So I think, you know, my reaction to that is that we have, in this country, we have laws and we have regulations that structure how that process happens, right? And this is all done within the context context of the National Environmental Policy Act. And so right now we're in the stage of the public comment period on what's called the draft environmental impact statement to the changes in the in the boundaries. Um, this is where we, the public, have an opportunity to comment, right? And so whether or not we're heard is a different issue, right? But the fact of the matter is, is that we do have the opportunity to participate, but it has to be done within this very particular process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Carrie Holt, I wonder what your, you know, any random thoughts, any general <laughs> thoughts as we've been having this discussion and, and then bringing it back to the comments. Well, one of the things when we first started the class that the students were very anxious about is they, I think they wanted to be involved and they wanted to participate be, be, because these issues are so complicated. They didn't feel like they had a way They didn't even know how to start to take a position, how to develop one. And something we've really been trying to do is teach them where to find information and always to recognize how complicated this is and that you have to find a way to educate yourself so you can recognize and deal with the complexity and then figure out how, you know, you have to take a responsibility for getting involved. And this was something that was important in Dinosaur where we didn't have these regulatory um, structures in place. So the public and sort of in the space of media uh, really made an effort that had a huge impact in reversing the um, the dam proposal. 
So yeah, I think just getting students, helping them educate them about the complexity and find ways to, all they're always going to have to contend with that complexity has been one of our goals and something that's always going to be a real challenge. But I, I think... I think we've been getting them there. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, one of our students was the one who sort of put this event together to sort of try to invite public comment because when the opportunity's there, I think it's important to take it. Mm-hmm. So tell us again uh, when the event is. So the Where? event will be on Wednesday uh, at 6.30 p.m. Uh, the building is BNR 102. And we're going to do a screening of um, the Battle Over Bears Ears. And then afterwards, we're going to have some computer set up. We'll have some students talking about the public comment process. They have some templates for, you know, if you know what your position is, we've got some sample language for how you can, you know, voice those um, or post those comments, where to send them. And we can do it all from there. So if you want a, a slightly easier way to get involved, um, this might be an opportunity to do so. All right. And the film is uh, Battle Over Bears Ears. It's airing on KUED television, and uh, the next airing is tonight, 10 p.m., uh, Friday, uh, 8 p.m., and Sunday, 3 p.m., so your opportunity to hear that. Just before we go to break, Nancy Green, uh, what's your sense? People you're talking to, are, are, are people participating in the process? Are they sending in their comments? Are they anxious to do that, uh, or kind of a feeling of resignation? What's, what's your sense? Um, you know, a little, a little bit of both. I think people uh, were really anxious to put in their comments uh, during the original, um, you know, Bears Ears Monument uh, review. Um, and so, I mean, I think people are commenting still, but I think there's this sense of, you know, a lot of this needs to play out uh, in the courts to really see what the final final view is. But I think, you know, I mean, I think it's such a great thing to encourage public comment and students especially to get involved. Um, you know, so I really applaud, you know, the professors there, um, you know, making this happen. Um, so, so yeah, I, I think it's a mixed bag. But I think people are still commenting. I don't think people are completely, um, you know, shut down in the process. And I think people still feel like they can affect some change and their voices can be heard. Let's take a break. When we come back, I want to talk about uh, a unique aspect of this particular monument, um, at least it's in its original iteration, which was it was driven, uh, apparently, by Native Americans. Right? This was a proposal from, from, the, from the tribes. I want to talk about that. And, and the very interesting perspective from Bill Boyle of the San Juan Record, uh, he links very directly... Um, the, the, the Bears Ears National Monument and the whole process, at least from the point of view of the opponents there in the, in the county, with the federal crackdown on looting, which happened. Uh, he sees a direct line there, uh, intensification of uh, locals' resentments about uh, the federal government intrusion. Uh, that's a very interesting section of, of the film, and much more. And we want your comment as well. What do you think on all of these issues? Upraccess at gmail.com is our email. We'd love to know what you think, upraccess at gmail.com. Or you could call us to 800-826-1495, 800-826-1495. And uh, right after the break, we'll get to uh, Tom's email. He has Tom Elder has emailed us. We'll get to you right after the break, following this break. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members and John Simpson and Jamie Curtis of Culinary Concepts Catering. Excited to help UPR listeners plan and prepare a menu for family or business guests this holiday season. Menu details and ideas available at culinaryconceptsonline.com. It's often said that you are what you eat, but it might also be true that you are what your parents and grandparents ate. Epigenetic inheritance is a field of research that examines genetic code and how it can be inherited across generations. 
Researchers in animal science and human nutrition at USU are examining how behavior and lifestyle choices such as smoking or a poor diet leave marks on our DNA that can potentially be passed down to our offspring. Using mouse models for their research, the scientists carefully track the diet and health of each mouse and compare it to the generations of mice that came before it. Support for Ag Matters on Utah Public Radio is provided in part by our members and by the College of Agriculture and Applied Sciences at Utah State University, offering more than 70 degrees with courses available at USU campuses throughout the state and online. Thanks for listening to Access Utah. I'm Tom Williams. At its heart, it's a battle for homeland and sovereignty. Bears Ears is at the center of a fight over who has a say in how Western landscapes are protected and managed. Battle over Bears Ears is a new documentary film exploring the deep connections to place and vast cultural divides that are fueling the fight over how Bears Ears Monument is protected and managed. And we have with us a producer, Nancy Green, just mentioned here that the film is airing on KUED television. Uh, you can view it tonight at 10, Friday at 8 p.m. and Sunday at 3 p.m. You can also uh, view the film if you would like to come to an activity, uh, an event on the USU campus on Wednesday. So, Carrie Holt, tell us again. Yeah, so this is going to be an event on Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. The building will be BNR 102. Um, we'll make sure this gets posted on the university calendar. Uh, but we're going to have a screening of the documentary, and then we're going to have um, some computers available and then some student guides, some students helping with guidelines for participating in the public comment process. All right. So we're talking with Carrie Holt, who's USU Associate Professor of English and Judson Finley, USU Associate Professor of Anthropology. Uh, so Nancy Green, uh, the, one unique aspect, I believe unique, uh, in this particular designation in Bears Ears is that this was proposed by, by the tribes in the area. Mm-hmm, it is, and they, they really were the ones who, who led the charge in that. And Sally Jewell actually said that that probably was the deciding factor for, um, for the monument being declared um, because... There, there had been propo- There were apparently a lot of proposals in front of um, President Obama to declare different national monuments, but um, but that was a deciding factor to actually go ahead and declare the Bears Ears National Monument. And there was this coalition of tribes that came together. And what's interesting is they they have this history, this long um, history of fighting um, together. They weren't always, you know, they didn't always get along. So the Hopi and the Navajo and the Navajo and the Ute. Um, so they really had to um, come together and overcome um, some differences and some past, you know, tensions and, and join together to push for the monument. An and example of the polarization, you have a couple of voices in the film, Representative Bishop and uh, Commissioner Lyman, who are expressing skepticism. They're saying this, this wasn't, this didn't originate with the, uh, with the tribes, there's outside voices that came in, is what they're saying. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, there, there was this, this sense um, by opponents to the monument that, that uh, the Native American tribes uh, were basically a front for environmental groups, and environmental groups had been pushing for that area to be protected, um, and there was a partnership. I mean, there certainly was, you know, people groups were working together, but um, it was interesting the way um, 
you know, uh, Representative Bishop and Phil Lyman certainly perceived it, and a lot of people, um, you know, in the Blanding area and around San Juan County really did perceive that, um, you know, this was more of an environmental group agenda, um, and certainly Native American voices uh, who are fighting for the monument pushed back against that idea, you know, and they basically were saying, we're not, <laughs> you know, we're not a front, we are actually leading this, we're working in conjunction with environmental groups, but we're the ones, you know, pushing this forward. Uh, this would be a good time to bring in uh, Tom's email. He's emailed us to upraxcess at gmail.com. This is Tom Elder. Um, he says, I think that co-management with the tribal nations is a great idea. Time to try it at the Bears Ears. But at the same time, these are public lands with all citizens of the U.S. having a stake in them. Some of the values of the tribes may not be shared by the conservationists who also want the land more strongly protected and vice versa. What would co-management look like for firewood cutting, for example, and in the case of disagreement that cannot be resolved, who would be the final arbiter of the disputes? That's uh, Tom. So, Nancy Green, these are you know some of the details that uh, are, I guess would be worked out in a management plan. Yeah, it was um, basically co-management was was a goal, but. Um, a president apparently cannot actually grant co-management rights to um, to a group, so it would actually take an act of Congress to do that. So in the original proclamation, they basically worded it as strongly as they could that tribes would have you know a stake in this and a say in this, but they couldn't actually grant them true co-management. Um, so in the way the proclamation is actually written, um, tribes you know would be um, a consulting body. Um, but, you know, it could, you know, an act of Congress could definitely change that. So co-management was one of those things that, you know, they were, it was more of a discussion of what would this look like. Um, and as far as, you know, things like gathering wood, uh, another interesting aspect of Bears Ears that's maybe different than some other monuments, there was very specific language written into the proclamation that would protect gathering of wood um, and and other land uses, uh, traditional uses by by Native Americans in the region, because um, you know they were they were really trying to be sensitive to um, to local voices and local uses of that land, um, but obviously it didn't go far enough in terms of you know people feeling like. Um, they actually were heard, so so it's interesting. I think I think co-management co-management is one of those things that never really truly um, was granted. But it would be fascinating to see what it would actually look like uh, if it could play out, and that's something that could play out, you know, potentially in in the um, two monuments that that are now um, that now exist, Shasta and uh, Indian Creek. Mm. Uh, Justin Finley, I want to bring you in here. Uh, the, the, these are kind of the, the kind of details mm-hmm. I would expect that uh, perhaps you study as you go out to Dinosaur National Monument, and 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 perhaps that could be affected by comments that. Yeah. Public. So, and again, this brings up another issue that we've been talking about with our class is that um, there's this idea of multiple uses, and so uh, many of these national monuments operate under a multiple use mandate. And so um, this all has to be taken into consideration in, in developing the, the management plan. You know, how do you uh, incorporate grazing, firewood collection, um, even, you know, in some cases there's national monuments that have existing oil and gas leases in them. So 
this all has to be part of the conversation that sometimes we forget about. We have this idea that once we create the national monument that nothing can go on inside of those boundaries, and that's just not the case. Kerry mm. Holt, you said something interesting, uh, something about framework. You're teaching students how to get into these issues can be quite complicated and mm-hmm. very loaded as, as well. I wonder if you could talk a little bit more about how you take students through that. Yeah, and that concept of multiple use has sort of been our guiding factor where trying to understand, okay, what are the different uses that people want to get out of national monuments? Um, What are the impacts of those uses? So we've just actually finished up. We um, did a unit on impacts of recreation, which I know UPR has sort of been been covering, and impacts related to... um, oil and gas development, uh, just economic uses that people want. We've talked about issues related to ranching. Um, and again, the conservationist, you know, people who want to sort of preserve it for these other uses that aren't necessarily, you know, economic exclusively. Um, and so getting them to think about in terms of there's lots of different uses, they all have impacts, and trying to think about it in those terms rather than there's good uses or there's bad uses. I think that gives them a framework where they feel more comfortable taking a position because then they feel they can present defend the position that they've taken based on their understanding of what uses are acceptable to them and which ones are are not or which ones are too costly, have too big of an impact. There's probably no substitute for going there, right? So, in fact, I know you took students out to Dinosaur National Monument. Yeah, and this gets back to that point earlier about um, from the opening clip about those people who had a sense of place. And for as much of the good work we're doing in the classroom, I think until you go out there and you can see what these things look like, some of which is very hard to describe, um, I think that that having that personal individual connection to place really changes your sense of um, how much you want to be involved in these conversations and, yeah, help clarify what your positions are in relation to that. And we've seen this in class where the students just, they really came alive to them, these issues and how important they are um, after we took them out there and, you know, they spent some time shivering in the cold and dinosaur and seeing seeing Fremont rock art mm-hmm. and um, also, you know, seeing different uses around Vernal and mm-hmm. how Vernal is impacted um, by, you know, oil and gas development and other issues that are all around dinosaur. Yeah. And uh, Justin Finley, uh, I know you spend a fair amount of time out there, right? Mm-hmm. Research out yep. there. Um, yeah. Tell me a little bit about, I don't know, is that change your view on any of any of these public lands disputes be, being out there um it does and i think you know as a as an anthropologist and archaeologist and um really just a an engaged community member um thinking about what what all these various values are you know we always say um what's at stake and who are the stakeholders and um as we go into some of these places, particularly like Dinosaur National Monument, uh, there's a lot that we don't know about the history, um, the Native American history, um, and these are really important places on the landscape. And we just have, I think, such a such a risk of losing important things to to communities. And and again, this is kind of what comes back around to Bears Ears, right? And what's what's significant archaeologically about bears ears in that entire area. Mm-hmm. That's a great and a similar question to you. And, it, um, and I was thinking about this. I mean, it, in my head, it sounded facetious, but I don't mean it th- that way. Um, of course, a, a film can take you there, right? And that, I'm sure you that's, that's one reason why you do the film, right? You go out, you get those voices, mm-hmm. you do filming on the land, you try to take us there. But to really get this, uh, 
do all do we all have to go out to Bears Ears? Would would that be a good thing? <laughs> I, think I it don't would know. Be a great thing, but <laughs> but I mean, I I, I think, yeah. I mean, I think I think we all have a different connection to place, and I think uh, you know. I, I mean, I think until you you stand in a vast landscape, I don't think you can really understand what it's like to be there, um, whether it's dinosaur or whether it's um, down around Combe Ridge or Bears Ears. Um, you know, there's nothing like being there to understand it. And I think that that's sometimes what people decry is the fact that, you know, people who are making these decisions in terms of policy often don't go and walk on the land or visit or see it. Um, so, I mean, I think it does change your perspective when you do go down to a place. But, but you know, again, everyone can't do that. Mm-hmm. So. So, you know, in the film, we try at least to give you a sense of what is so special and beautiful about about a region. And and for everyone, there's a different, there's a different, I was going to say perspective, but it goes, is more than that, as we heard earlier from the film. Uh, people using words like sacred and home and, uh, you know, sovereignty and family. It's, it goes beyond, perspective seems like a small word to use. It's It's deep feelings that people have. And I guess for... Every person, there's a different feeling. Yeah, and I mean, it's really, you see in terms of land use decisions, you know, they, it's interesting about, you know, who's the stakeholder and what's at stake, and I think that's different for different people, for individuals. And, um, and this notion that, you know, what place means to somebody is very personal. And you look at history, you know, plays a part in our, our, you know, vision of how lands should be used and uh, an interpersonal history, you know, between different people in a region. Um, you know, you have to remember a lot of times these debates are playing out in small towns and uh, or near small towns. And, and there's a whole personal, you know, interpersonal history there, too, along with cultural history. So, um, I mean, it's complex. And so uh, I, I think, you know, trying to understand a little bit about that complexity and that depth of feeling and, and that understanding of a region, um, I think it's really critical. We bring in now by phone uh, Riley Jensen, who is a student in the uh, Cooney College of Natural Resources, I understand, at USU. Uh, welcome to the program. Hi. Uh, good to be here. Good, good, good to have you here. So you're, uh, what, are you, what, are you, what are you majoring? What do you hope to get out of your education here at USU? Um, so I'm currently a senior at USU majoring in wildlife ecology. Um, I found I find the natural resources program really interesting to me, and so I want to continue uh, doing research in my career. And um, I've kind of wanted to focus a little bit more on like how to mitigate conflict um, internationally, like using techniques that I've learned here at USU and in my research to um, specifically mitigate like human carnivore conflicts on mm. um, like ranchers' lands and that kind of thing. Oh, for a minute, I thought you were talking about human-to-human conflict, <laughs> oh. which would be no, yeah, especially useful. Are, by the way, are there any lessons we can learn <laughs> your study of human carnivore conflict that we could apply to us humans, do you think? Uh, yeah, honestly. So a lot of carnivore conflict, like if you look at the issue of wolves in the West, a lot of the um, solutions that we come up with, come up with deal a lot with collaboration between different parties so you have to take into account like ranchers perspective you have to take into account land managers perspective and tourism and uh, people who want to like view wolves versus hunt them versus exterminate them so it's just a lot of collaboration on different ends Um, you really have to take into account 
like who's all at stake here and who should have a say in different aspects of management. Uh, so, uh, Riley Jensen, you uh, understand you were instrumental in putting together this event on Wednesday. What's, what's your goal? Yeah, so my goal really is to just kind of give students and faculty and just people around Logan the opportunity to just come and see what's happening in this in their home state and have a convenient outlet to like learn about this issue and learn about the public commenting uh, process. Um, really, what I wanted to do, and like what I heard when I heard about this documentary, I thought like great, like people are really drawn to like visual aspects of a problem and that really helps them like connect to the issue when they can see and hear from different people so i just wanted it i just wanted to make it a lot easier for people to be able to um yeah learn about this issue and uh submit their comments and voice their opinion on this as well uh nancy green i want to before we end here and we're we're you know we're coming down to just have about six seven minutes left i want to bring in this perspective from bill boyle he's editor of the san juan record uh, down there, and of course, the newspaper editor, important member of the community, another any any town. Uh, he had a very interesting perspective. I thought it was a very important part of your film. He linked the uh, the, the federal crackdown on looting uh, to to intensifying feelings uh, when we got to Bears Ears. He he saw uh, he saw a through line there. Yeah, I mean, I think the the. There was this, you know, these landing raids that uh, federal, you know, forces came in and, and arrested people, and um, you know, Bill says there was a really important message there about you know, respecting antiquities, you know, not not looting, not you know, picking a barrowheads, you know, um, and he says that that message was never actually received because of the way the raids took place, and so. Um, you know, for him, he says that local solutions, you know, are really what people want there. They don't trust the federal government. And to a lot of people in San Juan County, the raids came off as yet another example of federal overreach. And where was that local solution? Um, you know, which is how a lot of people down there feel about Bears Ears National Monument. They feel like, once again, this is federal overreach um, or overregulation. And you know, where's our local solution? Some of the similar language. So I think it goes back to that sense of history and place and the sense that, you know, events of the past help shape our views of today. And I think that the raids were just one more example for people down there of why they feel they can't trust the federal government. I want to hear one more sound clip from the film. The film is Battle Over Bears Ears. Uh, Nancy Green is a producer with the film. It's airing on KUED television several times. We'll get you those times uh, at the end of the program. Um, but I want to hear a clip they've labeled uh, polarization. This is uh, at the end of the film, and uh, people are trying to strike a hopeful note. They're talking about this deep polarization with not only lands, but, of course, in any political debate in our country these days. Uh, so let's uh, let's hear this. I wish that the polarization would stop now, and I wish it would have stopped years ago. If there was some common ground that was sought and found, we wouldn't be in the position we are now. We need to find opportunities to build a common language, to understand what we mean when we say protection, to sit across a table from one another 
to get to know each other as human beings and recognize that we're actually not very far apart. We care deeply about these landscapes. We care about our families and the next generation and the traditions that are important to us. You know, we're not listening to each other. We're not compromising. It's either I win or you lose or you lose and I win. It's really become a political football that's caught up in all this national politics. It's far from over. It's not going away. It's never going to go away because it's not done the right way. There needs to be a peacemaking process to get things restored back to balance. I'm actually optimistic that we can take this head on together as a community because that's the only way if people want to live in peace together. So no matter how many times we fail, we're going to always have to come back to the beginning until we get it right. That's a clip from the film uh, Battle Over Bears Ears, and I think it's Angela Baca who uh, who says this at the end. He's right. Uh, this is far from over. <laughs> it's in the courts right now. We'll see what happens. Uh, we just have uh, time for maybe uh, 30 seconds from, from each of you. Uh, so I'll start with Kerry Holt to tell us again the event. So, yeah, the event will be held this Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. Uh, in the building is BNR. We'll make sure this gets posted on the university calendar. And, again, we'll be screening this documentary, and we will be giving uh, an opportunity. We'll have some computers and other information for participating in the public comment. Okay. And um, uh, Judson Finley, what, uh, what, what are your thoughts near at the end here that uh, we've been talking about this? I guess maybe frame it this way. What would you like students to come away with? Um, I think the realization that there is a process that we can participate in, um, that it's designed in very, very specific ways for everybody to at least have a voice, and that just like everything else in our society, um, at best we can hope to be able to participate, Mm -hmm. and so do that. Riley Jensen, um, interested to get your brief uh, take on this. You're, you've organized this event. Uh, are you hopeful that your voice and the others who comment, uh, their voices will be heard? Yeah, I really am. And it seems like this documentary um, really goes into like the emotions of the issue and really helping people realize that we have more commonalities than we think with like people who supposedly like are against like what our what, whatever, whatever side of the controversy you're in, like, I hope people take away from this that, that like, we are more common with, it, with each other than we think, and that um, if we can find common ground, that's really going to be the root of solving all issues. Nancy Green, a, a minute here at the end. What's your, what's your takeaway? You've spent a lot of time with, with the film, with Bears Ears. Uh, what's your takeaway? Um, well, I love Riley's comments, actually, that, that we, we aren't that far apart. Um, and that if we really could sit and listen and come to understand and be willing to compromise, I think that's the other thing, is just really be willing to compromise with each other. And I think we can find solutions. Um, so I think, I don't know, I'm looking to people like Riley for the future. I think there's hope out there. Well, Battle Over Bears Ears is airing on KUED television tonight, 10 p.m., uh, Friday at 8 p.m. and Sunday at 3 p.m. 
And uh, then you also have an opportunity to view the film if you're going to be in the USU area. This uh, free and open to the public, this event. Mm-hmm. Uh, Carrie Holt, Wednesday evening. Wednesday evening in BNR 102, starting at 6.30. Okay. You have opportunity to uh, comment as well. The computer is there for, for comment. So we've been talking with Judson Finley, USU Associate Professor of Anthropology. Thank you so much. Thank you. Uh, Carrie Holt, uh, Associate Professor of English at USU. Thanks. Thanks so much. Um, Riley Jensen, a student in the USU Quinney College of Natural Resources. Thank you. Thank you. And uh, film producer Nancy Green. Thank you so much. Thank you, Tom. And the comment period is open, Judson, through the 15th. 15th of November for Bears Ears, 30th of November for Grand Staircase. All right. Uh, And thanks for listening to Access Utah today. Programming on Utah Public Radio is made possible in part by our members. And Devour Utah, a monthly magazine devoted to covering Utah's dining and drink scene with a spotlight on cooking, local happenings, and libations. Available at newsstands or online at devourutah.com. Next time on Living on Earth, how to take a family farm near London back to the wild. Going from intensive management, where you're really managing the land to the nth degree, to just sitting back and letting go is a, is a massive mind swing. I'm Steve Kerwood, letting nature run her course next time on Living on Earth from PRI. Tomorrow morning at 10 on Utah Public Radio. You're listening to Utah Public Radio, a statewide service of Utah State University and the College of Humanities and Social Sciences. KUSR Logan, KUSK Vernal, KUSL Richfield, KUST Moab, KCEU Price, KUSUFM Logan, and also heard at upr.org. I'm Kristen Munson, features reporter for Utah Public Radio. UPR is a community-based organization, and we want to hear from you. If you have comments, story ideas, or questions for any of us at this station, we'd love to hear from you. Please visit our website at upr.org or call us at 1-800-826-1495. You can also share ideas with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just be sure to include the hashtag IAMUPR. Thanks for listening.